Hello, my name is Adam Conover, and welcome to Humans Who Make Games, a long-form, intimate conversation with the people who make some of your favorite video games. And my guest today, I would hazard a guess and say that his games are more popular, have been played by more people than anyone else we have ever had on the show. His name is Zach Gage, and he is best known for his games for iOS, for mobile including games like Spell Tower, Ridiculous Fishing, Really Bad Chess, Type Shift, Flip Flop Solitaire, Pocket Run Pool, and Card of Darkness. These games collectively have been played God knows how many times, many, many, many times. And Zach is really, really interesting because he has figured out a way to create games that have real game design, real honest-to-God game design of the type that a game connoisseur, such as myself, someone who wants some really crunchy, interesting mechanics to play with, keeps me satisfied, but is are also intelligible and fun for anybody. anybody. You could give your grandma flip-flop solitaire. You could give your uncle type shift, and they would have a great time. I'm just assuming your grandma doesn't play a lot of video games. Maybe she does, but, you know, for the average grandma, who I'm going to hazard a guess, doesn't. They will love these games. Now, that is a very, very difficult thing to do. Almost no one attempts to do this, and no one, absolutely no one, does it better than Zach. He has carved out such a unique place for himself in the industry, and he's also so widely respected for doing it, I just had to hear what his approach is and how he goes about it. So I hope you enjoy this interview. Let's take it away with my conversation with Zach Gage. you for coming here sure, sure. thanks for having me <laughs> thanks, this is very exciting uh yeah i've been playing your uh playing your games for years uh cool. they're, they're really cool thank you they're really fun they're they're kind of like the only good mobile phone games oh no that's... left <laughs> <laughs> no. i don't i'm not trying to cast dispersions on other people's and other people's work but that that's how i feel sometimes when a new game of yours comes out is i'm like Oh, a game I want to play on my on my phone. <laughs> like I've been playing so much um like I got Apple Arcade cuz uh -huh. you have a game on Apple Arcade, yeah. right? And I played a bunch of your game on Apple Arcade and then I was playing other Apple Arcade games too, but then I so much of my time so much of the time found myself just going to the New York Times crossword app. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean because like there's something about there's something about uh the way Apple mismanaged <laughs> phone games for so long that got me out of the habit of playing games on the phone. Um, whereas opposed to when I got an iPhone in like 2011 or whatever, I was like, games on the phone. And now I'm, anyway, I'm sorry, I'm prefacing too much. No. Your games are good is what I'm trying to say. I think a lot of people, uh, well, I don't, I don't want to say anything bad either. I think not everybody who's making mobile games thinks about the context that people play mobile games in. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's the most exciting part of mobile games is mm. that like, oh, it's this game that you can play for 10 seconds when you're in an elevator. Right. But sometimes you can play it for 10 minutes and like yes. it, it needs to support like all these different kinds of 
expression and like there's a lot of design elements that are required for something like that like if you have to remember things then like that game doesn't work because you can't take it out and put it back whenever Mm -hmm. you're gonna feel like oh i need to finish this thing and so that's that's i I don't know maybe maybe that's a a part of it i feel like like, that's what i want to design games for and i feel like i want that more from mobile games because yeah the the Apple Arcade games, when I download them, a lot of times I'll open one and I'll be like, this is cool, but I'm not going to play it on this. You right. know, like I or there's there's games that I've literally like uh, like Manifold Garden. I've been wanting to play just because I know it's a puzzle game of the type that I like. And I was like, oh, it came out on PC and also on Apple Arcade. I'll install it. I have Apple Arcade and I'll install it. And then I opened it and I was like not going to play it on this like and and i can imagine other people might right if they have an apple tv or if they have an ipad and that's their main yeah i've been playing on my ipad yeah and i'm sure that's great but i got it on the phone and it's for exactly the reason that you said that's not how i use my phone um and even like an rpg style game well we were just talking about this before we started recording that i've got the game boy advance sp and that's if i'm on a plane or a long car trip i'll like dial into this thing and for some reason, I don't feel that way about my phone. I don't want to play Final Fantasy Tactics Advance on my phone. I want to do it on this, or I want to do it on the Switch. Uh, but that context that you're talking about is super cool. Um, Pinball Wizard is really good. Pinball Wizard? Yeah, I is really it? I played through that one. That's an Apple Arcade Apple game. Apple Arcade game? Yeah, and Speed Demons. And I had a lot of fun with uh, Grindstone. Oh, yeah. It was a really good one. I'm keeping it because it's fun to be able to just, oh, what is this new game? You know, um, it's just that's what I found with, I think, what you're saying. The, the, the format of mobile game is, like, interesting and still evolving despite having existed for, like, 10 years. I think it's so cool. It's weird to, like, get to uh, make something that is accompanying somebody at all times in mm-hmm. their life. Like that's that's cool. That's a weird, cool context. It's yeah. like very special. Like you don't have to wait for them to sit down on the couch to interact with the thing you made. It could it could happen anywhere at any yeah. time. Yeah, and it's and your games are also super accessible. Um, I mean, for those who don't, I'll, I'll probably have said this in the intro, but like <laughs> you're you've carved out this niche for yourself as you make these games that are. Uh, very good like someone like me who really gives a shit about game design or who like follows right i'm like an enthusiast right i'm like oh yeah his games are great but also my mom would like them right right? or my grandmother could uh well my grandmother just passed away but if she was not she could she could play a bunch of your games right um yeah bennett fadi calls it dad core he said all my (laughs) games are dad core that's a good, I mean, it's not a bad way to put it. Because uh, it's like, because your games are variations on, or a lot of them are, uh, chess, solitaire, pool, stuff like that. Like games people know, but which you've made these interesting tweaks to them that make them more playable on mobile, right? Yeah, I'm trying to, a, a lot of the time, I, I think the two parts of it for me are the the thing I like about mobile context and like every time I make a game I'm always thinking about like okay what are all the things that I'm going to need to do to make it work right on mobile but then the other part of it is I feel like the other weird cool thing about mobile is that there are like a a like hundreds of millions of new people playing games Mm -hmm. who 
don't have the literacy that you and I have growing up with yeah. games. They like don't know that you're supposed to talk to everybody in the RPG town. They yeah, don't know like any of that. Or they stuff. don't know how to do dual like dual sticks is like right. on a controller right. they is don't the know hardest to... thing for people. Yeah, who like, have not done it before. Navigating yeah. a 3D space and, and that you roll and can see in 2D that's like a whole weird thing. Yeah. Um, but those people do know about like cards and dice and odds like a lot of times Mm -hmm. those people have played board games or at least grew up playing board games you know like they played monopoly or they go to the casino or they so for me i'm trying to use the tools that they understand Mm -hmm. and then like the design from like cutting edge game design like everything that everybody in doing video games like all the stuff they're doing i want to take the parts of it that i think are interesting and push it but then use it with these other things so that anybody can understand the games when they come to them because they're like have the literacy and and aren't like alienating you know because you don't know stuff that is so beautiful oh (laughs) (laughs) no 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 i'm serious that makes me a little emotional it's very beautiful because you're because you know when you're sitting on a plane and you look over at what someone's playing like i was flying back from las vegas because i was doing a gig there and there was a dude on his ipad next to me and he opened a game and i also always look at what are people playing and he was playing a slot machine video game, yeah. you know, and it was like now that gets into things about addiction and, you know, maybe that guy's got a got a, you know, an issue there, uh, et cetera. But also maybe he just likes slot machines. Right. Sure. Um, but but it was I could tell the game sucked. Right. I could tell the thing that he was doing sucked. I don't know if it was microtransactioning him to hell or whatever, but it was just like not good. Right. Um, and he, he wasn't getting something like out of it critical thinking wise he was just yeah. like wasting his and time and he wasn't having thing. as rich of an experience as he could have had you know right. like like i remember i probably told this story on the on the podcast before but like my girlfriend uh lisa uh, a couple years ago was playing the kim kardashian game and she was at first having fun and then she started realizing it was sucking money out of her pocket and i got home and she was like uh upset on the couch and i was like what what's the matter and she's like I just spent $40 on the Kim Kardashian game and I thought it would make it better and it didn't and I feel like a fool. Oh, yeah. And so I got her. I was like, here's what I'm going to do. It just makes it worse. They, They like know that about people. Yeah, yeah. And and so she... She had a, 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 an opportunity to engage with a game that could have made her feel good, and instead she felt bad. Um, and I got her instead uh, uh, Animal Crossing for the 3DS. It had come out like a year or two prior. And I was like, this will give – I was like, look, check this out. And I got emotional thinking about it because I was like, this is Nintendo. All that they want to do is make sure you have a nice time. Yeah. You know, is like you pay your $40, and then it's you're going to have the best time possible. And that's what they're thinking about. And she had a good time with that. But that is what video games give me and give other people who have access to them. But a lot of people don't have that access, and they're stuck playing something shitty. And you've actually figured out a way to get the experience of playing a good game that is enlivening and enriching and feels nice to the people. <laughs> right. Well, and ho- I mean, that's what I-, I want. The people who are out there, like, you can see the literacy. If you pay attention to mobile games, you can see that the literacy is growing amongst, like, this new group of people. Because mm. for a while, it was, like, all Farmville, which is, like, just yeah. preying on, like, oh, you don't understand anything about game mechanics. Here yeah. you go. And then Candy Crush is, like, the new thing. And that, at least, like, it's also really cruel. But there's yeah. at least some, like, there's, like, a layer of critical thinking in there that people <laughs> are, like, accessing. Right. And then they're, like, it's slowly getting better. But, like, I don't, you know, like... It gets better because people wise wise up to like mm-hmm. the the 
situation and it's like oh i get it this game's screwing me the fix is in and then like the game companies have to be like okay well here's a slightly more interesting game like okay a little bit <laughs> right. you're a little bit but like i want like to just go all the way like yeah. just give them something so that people understand what games are supposed to be like yeah and that's kind of actually what i'm excited about it with apple arcade is that like i think people you know some of those games are not appropriate for phones but they're good for computers or whatever but the real thing is like a lot of the people who are playing apple arcade games are like adults who got it for their kids who are now for the first time in their lives playing mm. video games that are not free to play games that are trying to bilk them for all of their money yeah and they can suddenly see like oh what like i can just enjoy this thing i, yeah. I don't have to like have so I, I, I that's another reason i mean i guess i'm jumping all around here but that's another reason why i like doing mobile and specifically mobile with apple is i feel like on some level like they share apple shares my Mm -hmm. desire to have people like be getting what they're supposed to be getting out of these things they appreciate like good design and quality yeah. things and having fans of of stuff not be just consumers who are having their money drawn out of them but like people yeah. who actually care about like what's going on i believe here. that's what they want to and this isn't a podcast about the gaming industry I, i'm curious i'm mostly curious about your interaction with it uh with the gaming industry and with like how you feel about it um i've I generally feel like, yeah, Apple, to the extent that it has a value, thinks about, like, what is the user experience above everything else, right? Right. I think that's at cross-purposes with how I would criticize the way that they manage that marketplace, perhaps up until now. We'll see how Apple Arcade goes, you know? Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's really – it also reminds me of how, like, uh, when the Wii – came out there was like this beautiful thing where like people were playing like the Wii in like nursing homes yeah. like old people like in like literal nursing homes so that old folks could go bowling and because it was a physical activity and that's why it was the best-selling console ever right yeah. wasn't it the best yeah. best-selling home console ever yeah um but it was only that one console and really that one game that came with the console and then it that that disappeared like people stopped doing that nursing homes aren't playing video games anymore and i always thought that was really sad and it feels like you're kind of engaged in maybe the same project do you feel that way yeah i mean i i think like you know i come to making games from making art and the mm. thing that i want to do with the 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 thing that got me into it and made me feel like this is an okay thing for me to be spending like basically huge chunks of my life doing is this idea that like games are ways to learn and enjoy the skill of critical thinking and i think mm. a lot of adults don't like do a lot of critical thinking because the process of being an adult is doing the things that you know how to do as a routine because being an adult sucks and is incredibly complicated and you have to do all this stuff and if you were actually thinking about any of like any chunk of right. it you'd never get anything done because you have to you know do a job and take care of kids and take care of an apartment and pay the loans and do, like there's just yeah. no time to like be doing stuff and I think it's easy to fall into the trap of like doing everything by rote and I think games open people up to thinking to having to critically think to having to like back up and be like wait a minute I'm approaching this wrong and I wow. want people to have that skill in everyday life. Mm -hmm. um, and I think if you practice that in games, you have that. I don't think that's the only thing games do. And as I've been making games, I started to discover that games are this like incredible comfort device for people also. And like, yeah. like I can't 
you know, people have been like, oh, thank you for making Spell Tower. When I had morning sickness, I played Spell Tower every day and it got me through it. Right. And that's like, wow, that's amazing. Like, what an incredible. Uh, I remember reading about people playing, like, uh, specifically, like, uh, that game Alto's Adventurer Odyssey, whichever those are, is like anti anxiety yeah. kind of thing. Cause it's just like you get in that flow state and you're just doing the jumps and, and that can be big for people. Yeah. So that, so now there's like a lot more that like I really value about it, but originally that was sort of the thing. And, and that's, um, and so for me, the, the target audience that I want to hit is this new audience. Cause a lot of people who play games, um, at like heart, like people who are like design aficionados of games, like we're all doing critical thinking all the time when we play games. That's why mm-hmm. games like Spelunky and Dark Souls and yeah. FTL appeal to us. Cause like you have to step back from those games and think about what's going on. But to most people who play games and most people who are in this new group of playing games, like they're not used to doing that. And I want to be able to introduce that to them. So what do you mean by critical thinking? Cause critical thinking, frankly, is also what my career as a comic is built on. Right. Is like, that's what like my TV show is about. Uh, about like th- questioning the world around you kind of stuff, but it, it feels like that's a slightly different sense than how, how you mean it. So how do you mean it? Uh, so um, I gave a talk about this a while ago, so I'm going to try to figure out how to explain it <laughs> not as a talk. Um, <laughs> basically, uh, um, when you encounter a problem that yeah. you have to solve in your life, there's like two styles of solving that people have. So one uh, style of solving a problem is called uh, basically like a pattern matching style. It's like if you've done an arithmetic problem, you know how to do an arithmetic problem, mm-hmm. right? You, or like you you write the numbers out, you add them column by column, and you get the total. And so like adding 2 plus 2 and adding 2,975 and 3,460, like that's not like – appreciably harder than adding two plus two you can't do it in your head but you can use the same exact Mm -hmm. structure to solve those two different problems totally um critical thinking would be if you got a problem that you didn't have a pattern to identify and then you have to model the problem in your head and think okay what are the things that i need to solve this problem and then how do i make an attempt at solving it and then how do I judge whether that attempt was correct, whether the model that I had for it was correct? It's basically like being able to, like if you can do problem solving well, you can learn anything because you don't need a model. You're not like taking a model Mm -hmm. and then applying it. And so um, a lot of the ways that we learn in school, like most things we learn in school that aren't in art or like some advanced like math and science, like generally we're learning basically a, a pattern system like we're we're given a pattern and then we're given a little lesson and then we're given the next pattern and then we're given the next lesson and so like as as you learn arithmetic or reading or whatever you're basically given a lesson that's like perfectly appropriate for exactly where you are in cognitive development and then yeah. like another little thing and that's also why like some people are really bored in school and some people are like mm-hmm. falling behind because like the rungs of that ladder are like too short for some people or too long for other people um but there's like this other way of 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 teaching um which is teaching people how to be good problem solvers and that's like this entirely different teaching approach that used to be around in the 80s um and then they sort of got rid of it but that was all about teaching people how to sort of find the the beauty in modeling things and get excited about stuff and and teach themselves um Uh, you're 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 blowing my mind because i think i i think i'm following you uh you're talking about like the thing in you mentioned like dark souls and and that sort of game where you're like in this uncomfortable situation and you're just you're 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 having to like use your own 
mental tools to like find your way through it. Like there isn't a prescribed uh, solution to it. Um, like the the unfamiliarity is kind of the point. Um, well, I I always feel like when I'm playing games that like I'm explore like the thing I enjoy the most is like exploring the mechanic and like figuring it out and figuring out like okay settlers of Catan how do you play this game okay uh, oh you get these kinds of resources oh looks like you can specialize either in expansion or in growing your sp- one specific city you know and like beefing up that city and that's like a a choice you have to make and okay so which choice is better oh it probably depends on my starting circumstance or that that right. are you talking about that sort of thinking yeah so the the really good example from Dark Souls is like. Uh, you start out and you take the path that you think is the only path and it leads down around into the area where the skeletons respawn in the graveyard over and over <laughs> right, again. Right. And you get killed and then you're like, oh, all right, I got to go get my stuff. So then you go back and you get your stuff and then you fight some more skeletons and then you get killed. And then you spend like 20 minutes doing that and you're just getting killed and killed and killed. And you're like, this game is so stupid. This is too hard. And then you go, no, this isn't what I like. I heard this game's really good. <laughs> I'm determined to get through it. Right. Like, let me take a backup and go, you know what? Maybe I'm not even supposed to be in the skeleton area. Maybe there's something else. Maybe my whole model of how I think this game is going is wrong. Yeah. And you re-explore the beginning area and you find the other path. And then you're like, okay, now I'm going <laughs> this way and it's the right way. Like, that process yeah. of, like, stepping back and changing your model, that's critical thinking. And the process of, like, thinking you had it right and fighting the skeletons uh. all over and over again is, like, a pattern kind of approach. There's this thing that happens to game designers that was really baffling to me when it first happened, where you design a game, you give it to someone to try, and they play it, and they do the same thing like eight times, and then they go, ah, I, this is too hard, and they hand it back to you. And you're like, no, no, why did you do that? Like, what do you, like, yeah. just try something else. But, like, that just try something else is so hard, and it's so hard for people in every walk of life. And mm. it's just very difficult for people to, like, step out and, like, remodel the situation and I think really that that moment of like building a, a, a more complete or a more accurate model is just really uncommon um, that you do that as an adult as a baby that's all you do like you're yeah. just sitting there listening to noise and trying to figure out anything and you're trying to like make sense of the world and like co- come up with a model for it um, and there are a lot of games where you already have the model built in where it's like oh here's like load up a you know Drag, the new Dragon Quest, right? And I know how everything goes, and that's comforting. That could be comforting, uh, and a lot of people slip right into that very easily. But like the more challenging thing is to like play a game where you need to create new models. Yeah, and that's actually why like most people who love video games also are not doing this, right? Because most people mm-hmm. play like you know Far Cry one, two, three, four, five. Right. It's the same game over and over again. Or like a new game will like have the crafting from this game and the the dialogue mechanics from mm-hmm. this game and it's like mix and match. And that's why in AAA you don't see a lot of big risk like Dark Souls because actually the number of players who are like really want to appreciate that kind of thing is actually quite small. And even yeah. with Spelunky, it like it didn't really take off until, you know, it, it was being streamed on PC and people started to understand like mm-hmm. what what the big structure of the game is and then okay, now we're going to be able to get into it. Yeah. And it's so funny how so many even of the games that I mean that, you know, created the roguelike explosion um, but so many of the games that then later on came on to be labeled roguelikes were not 
Right. Like we're not we're not actually doing the same thing that Spelunky or like the you know Rogue or NetHack or the games it was based on were. They were just sort of like, oh, you die and then you level up. And like right. you die, you quote died, but really you just uh, you know you're just playing again. Don't don't worry about it. Um, and they like smoothed out smoothed out those edges. Like right, and, and that progression system is a way for people who are going to do the same thing over and over again mm-hmm. to start to become better because you do the right. same thing, you grind it out. Now you're better, and now you can keep going. Right, but that's when we said like certain games. A way I started thinking about games is like some games. Uh, your character becomes more powerful, but it doesn't ask anything more of you as right. a person where other games are like, uh, you actually had to be to, you actually got smarter. You had to get smarter and you learned something in order to right. complete the game. You know, after you beat, by the time you get to the end of the witness, you like know a language made of right. symbols or by etc. Um, and if one were to get good at one of your games, you have, you have to sort of understand something about the, Systems, right? It's the only thing in my game. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So strictly t- for that. Tell me how. T- tell me. Well, I I want to find out more about you personally because that is sort of the point of this right. podcast. But I I need to know how this concept applies to, uh, yeah, to your games like like say like Flip Flop Solitaire for instance is probably the one I spent the most time with. Sure. Well, so um the in general I'm trying to make games that like get you to that 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 process of like stepping back and rethinking what's going on and then like having a better understanding that that's the core experience of the game. And you're trying to encourage people to do because you're saying yeah. it's hard oh, for yeah. people to do it. A lot of right. people don't do it. You're trying to entice them into doing it? Right. And so part of that is making it as friendly as possible. Mm-hmm. And so um a big thing that uh oh man to take a very quick step back and then return to flip-flop a big part of that was so like i was doing all this thinking and like i had made spell tower a long time ago and that like had a bunch of things that were surprising to me and like people were able to get into it in ways that i didn't expect um and i was putting this talk together on like doing like problem solving and how to like make games that like help players learn and become better in the game that they're playing and um i was talking to my mom about it and she it turns out, did her PhD thesis on how to teach people to become better problem solvers, Mm. like in way back, Mm. um, which was really (laughs) weird. And so we had this whole conversation. I was like, oh, my God, we're working on the exact same problem. And she had discovered a thing that I think about all the time now, um, which is that uh, it turns out that if you ask someone to solve a difficult problem that would require critical thinking, if they're bad at problem solving, they won't be able to do it. People who are good at problem solving can just do it, and then, like, who cares? Like, they're fine. But people who are bad can't do it. But if you take those same people and you give them a situation that has, like, a bunch of different aspects to it, and then you say, come up with a problem that's at least this hard, and you give them a bunch of requirements, and then they create a problem that would require problem solving, and then you ask them to solve that problem, they can do it. Hmm. And... I think probably what's going on is that you're like decoupling the stress of trying to solve a problem from the modeling part because to come up with a problem you have to model the situation but you're not stressed. Yeah. So I try to do that exact part a lot in my games. And so that was a big part of of, of Flip-Flop Solitaire was um, the thing that was exciting to me is I was playing a bunch of games and I was playing Spider Solitaire, which I'd never played. And I was really blown away by the way that difficulty works in Spider Solitaire. Mm-hmm. So if you've never played Spider Solitaire, it's 
a solitaire variant where you can play it with either one suit, two suits, or four suits. Mm-hmm. Um, and if there's one suit, it's just you treat everything the same. It's like a normal traditional card game. Two suits, you play red and black, and then four suits, you play with all the suits. Um, and the thing that I loved about it is that one suit spider solitaire is really easy. Right. Two suits is really hard, and four suits is like most people who play spider solitaire have never beaten four suits and they'll right. like they'll be like oh my god this one day like 3 years ago i did a four suit and i beat it and it's like <laughs> this like moment right. and the thing that was like incredible to me like reading about this is that like most people when they play games they don't play it on like easy and then like they play it medium most of the time but then some days they play hard and then other like that's not how people play games huh. you pick the difficulty that works for you and you play that difficulty yeah um so i was just fascinated by this idea of like there's a structure in difficulty where people are actually choosing like what they want to play based on their mood and like all the modes are interesting and like what is that why do people do that and so i wanted to make a take on that for the phone that like fit so spider solitaire has eight columns which just doesn't fit on a phone so i was like all right i can do four and then maybe i could go back and forth and i tried it and it worked um going back because the the main the 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 pledge of flip-flop solitaire for those who haven't played it wonderful game is that when you're stacking the suits they can go up or down so you can go two three four three two three four five six seven eight nine ten right which is which is like you're like oh wow a a rule was taken away what fun right it's such a big entry point and it'll totally wreck your brain for normal solitaire Um, (laughs) but uh so like realizing that and being able to play with the difficulty then it's like you get to a situation where like in flip-flop like one suit is really easy so much easier than than five suit or four suit like it's and so much easier than one suit in spider even it's like one suit is like trivial if you mess with it enough you'll beat it in I've played solitaire. one suit just where I just button mash yeah. my, my thumbs on it in order to try to beat because I think I've I've never beaten the the speediest achievement oh. and I'll just be like <laughs> and just like try to see if I can get them all on the foundation as quickly as possible. It's so hard to do that speed achievement. <laughs> but so what I realized is like if you do that it's like most games don't have a mode that's like that where people can just like noodle and I think to me that's that's the game version of allowing people to um, come up with their own like to come up with their own problems like to be able to find their own heuristics and like explore the system and like the game is not stressing them out you can just be in it and play it and and be chill Mm -hmm. and I think when you introduce people to a game in that way then as they scale themselves up the difficulty you get this ability where the game is like letting you kind of like learn at your own pace and letting you take in the system um and it's something I actually first saw in Bejeweled, which is a game that most people think has no strategy. But yeah. Bejeweled is like um, if you like, you can be like a zero percent player or a ninety percent player, like with no problem, like easy to make that leap up to like ninety percent skill. But like ninety to a hundred percent skill in Bejewel is super hard. Hmm. Um, and people who play Bejewel like every day for like two years or three years, they are much better at Bejeweled than like anyone who would casually sit down and play Bejeweled. Really? But it's hard to see where that gets to. And I think the reason why Bejeweled was such a giant hit in casual games is because it actually is hard, but it doesn't. Change 
show the hard part to you for a really long time. Yeah. Um, and that's like a big thing that I try to do with my games is I want you to be able to get there really quickly if you're like somebody who's like really into this kind of thinking. Mm -hmm. But I also want to provide that place for people who are who are um, not so comfortable with it to be able to ease themselves in um, really slowly and and have that sort of like dynamic difficulty and that space where they can discover the things that are cool. Like mm -hmm. I don't want to do a tutorial that's like, oh, you know, you can, you know, you can stack backwards and forwards and that means that you can take all of your kings and queens and put them in one column. Like, that's cool. Like, right. no, the thing that's great about games is when you have that epiphany. Yes. And so how do you do that with people who aren't good at having that epiphany? Like, how do you design yeah. a game that lets people who are bad at that sort of thing get good at that and be able to do that? Oh, that's wonderful. That's a wonderful project. <laughs> it's definitely a wonderful project. <laughs> it's a lot of it's a very enjoyable to think about all the time. Well, cuz you're trying to you're you're engaging in this process of of trying to show people what's beautiful about the medium and trying to trying to bring it and educate them in it, which is not something that we're used to media doing. You know, you're not used to watching a watching a film that's trying to educate you about the possibilities of film you're, you're either watching a you know a blockbuster or an art film and and there isn't you know or yeah it's it's uh it, it, that's really cool i i had this experience man like 10 years ago i think where i made this game called lose lose and mm -hmm. it was basically an art it was part of an art piece and the game is uh space invaders but all of the aliens are tied to random files on your computer. And if you kill them, it deletes the file. And if you die, the game deletes itself. And it like tells you all this. It's like, there's an online leaderboard, but like, it's like, don't run this game. Like it was part of this collection of pieces about data where I was trying to sort of put forth this argument that like we're living in computers now, like these spaces are as important to us as our physical spaces, but we treat them yeah. like tools, which is not, radical now but in 2009 like it was a little bit more like people didn't take that at face value so I made this project as like the the basis of this collection of 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 art pieces because it, it basically proved it like if you're upset by this then you admit that the things on your computer are like deeply emotionally right. important to you um and so uh I made this thing and it had all of this um like people were really mad at me on forums. Like it was like people were very angry about this game, um, and so I was reading all it, these. It, it's almost. I mean, it almost sounds like a like a Trojan horse virus from right. Like... It's classified as a virus, which yeah. I take issue with. But um, <laughs> but so people like all these gamers were angry, and all these like non gamer tech people were pissed, and it was this whole thing. And I was like reading like hundreds of forum posts, and then there was this one post in the middle of like. I want to say it was on like NeoGAF or something, mm -hmm. like this huge thread where this one gamer describes art to this other gamer without using the word art. Like he didn't really understand what conceptual art was and he didn't know how to explain art and he didn't know that this was art, yeah. but he just explained it as if it was like what I would say art, how I would explain it to you as art. And I was like, oh my God, like this thing 
like the literacy that's required to understand a game yeah. is the same literacy that's required to understand like conceptual art or performance art or video art. Like the hardest stuff in art yeah. is the literacy that you have for designing games. And wow. I was like, wow, I want to, how do I get this literacy everywhere? Like, how do I get normal people to have this literacy? What am I, what can I do to like build this literacy so that like, then everybody can just go back to making art and we could yeah. like do all these amazing things. And so that's, um, that's sort of the thing that I'm like trying to spread with all this stuff. And I don't know if that's Holy working. Shit. I've thought about this stuff for too, too long and too much stuff, but that's, to me, that was like the big genesis of like this direction of like, Oh, like what, what is, what is the world like if everybody understands all of the literacy that you need to appreciate a new kind of game and like what kind of <laughs> things can we do when, when we have that, that space? Yeah. I mean, you're, you're blowing, you're blowing me away because the thing is, that would yeah, be... for a guy who's making a solitaire game. <laughs> no, no, well, no, this is my point because because the thing is that would be a noble pursuit if you were making, um, you know, if you were just making art games, right? If you were, if you were making like, uh, you know, I had on the first season of this podcast had Jason Rohrer on, and mm. I love his games, yeah. and I had an incredible conversation with him, and he does really cool stuff. Yeah, he's amazing. Um. I don't think as many people are playing his games as are playing Flip Flop Solitaire, right. right? Like, I have to imagine, you don't need to tell me your numbers, but I have to imagine that, like, a lot of people played Flip Flop Solitaire. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, it's just like, because you're playing, you're like, A, it's Solitaire, B, it's more fun than regular Solitaire, C, it's one of the most, it's beautiful and super playable. And it's and, free. And it's free. <laughs> it's free. And it's got great, like, it's got great promotion and everything. And, like, I mean, you're, you're operating... You, you, you. So on top of having like all you know this philosophy and a mission behind it, you're also making like some of the most popular games on the most popular platform in the fucking country. Right. So, well, I, which yeah. is amazing. I mean, it's I don't. Fortunately, unfortunately, since it's free, I don't make nearly as much money as this sounds. I don't but care but it's how like much money it's, you make. It's, it's millions of people for yeah. sure, which yeah. is amazing. Yeah. Um, that's why I'm trying to downplay the like. People are going to be, oh, millions of people. That's not that cool. But it is millions of people, which is cool. And that's what I want. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. And that's why I disguising these things as these normal things that people can just play and aren't going to be uncomfortable about. Disguising. Yeah, it's a secret. Are you worried that you're exposing the secret and like... No, I'm pretty upfront. no. We were playing... I thought I was just playing a nice card game and now an art pervert is making me think. (laughs) Well, fortunately, the people who I'm trying to reach don't really read websites about games or listen to podcasts about games or or do any or care anything about games. They're just trying to have a normal freaking life. This basic cable host... Second most popular podcast is going to be not going to. My my career is over. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's talk about your career. How did you? Uh, th- here's my stock question for this show. What is your What's your first memory of video games? What's the first? Probably uh, when I was growing up, my friend down the block had a. He, uh, a Where'd you ne- grow up? I grew up in Park Slope in Brooklyn. Oh, okay. And um, uh, this kid moved down the block, and uh, he had a uh, Nintendo, and we played Mario oh, yes. and Duck Hunt. Yeah, and it was super cool. And I was like, <laughs> "This is amazing! What's this?" Did you get a Nintendo at your own house? No, um, I wasn't allowed to have video games. 
Um, oh. This is I come from a family of artists, and if you hadn't already figured that out, yeah. Um, and uh, so my mom's philosophy uh, was. Um, I won't buy you anything to waste your time with, but mm. anything that you want to do art, I will get you. So she was like, well, you can make video games if you want to play video games. And so she wow. like got me cool software and like books and stuff to like try to make games myself. But she didn't clock video games themselves as being art at the time. She wasn't like, no, because <laughs> if you had been like. I want to write books. She wouldn't be like, yeah, but you can't read books. I think she... <laughs> right. That's true. I was. It was okay like, no, to read you should, books. You should read them to learn about how books are made. Yeah, I guess maybe there was some extra like. Don't you look at a painting? Don't you waste your time looking at that Monet? If you want to, if you want to see a Monet, you paint a yeah. Monet. Yeah. Well, books were. They didn't know in the eighties. Moms didn't know. My mom didn't know either. Books were out very early. One day I came home from school and I was really upset that I'd never be able to write as well as Michael Crichton. And that was it for me in writing. <laughs> which which is true. Michael Crichton, not a good writer, no, really. But better than me. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, but yeah, so you uh, were playing, you, sorry, you were making video games yeah. before you were really able to play them. Yeah, I mean, I, I was playing them at friends' houses, and then I'd come home and, and make them. The wow. original- well, What did you make them on? Make them. Uh, initially, I made, uh, there was this really amazing drawing program called KidPix. That's sort of like uh -huh. a game drawing program. It's not not for games. Like, it in itself yeah. is a game. It's like goofy, and there are secrets and stuff. Was this, a, was this on a PC? Mac. Oh, Mac, okay. And uh, so I would make games in KidPix, where mm -hmm. I'd just draw a sequence of pictures, and then be like, this is what you do. These are the rules. This is the things. And then um, from there, uh, my mom got me high Hyper Studio, which was like a multimedia version of HyperCard. Mm -hmm. So HyperCard, Hyper Apple's Card. thing, had like a pretty hardcore programming language, and it was yeah. black and white. Hyper Studio was like a little bit more accessible, and you could include sounds, and it was colorful. Different company, though? not Different company. Got it. Um, and so I made a, a lot of like adventure games and that. And then um, Apple released a thing called Coco, which is different than Coco is now. Um, okay. It was part of their like education initiative before Steve Jobs came back and axed everything. And Coco was this very cool programming language that was for kids. It was like a way to learn objective, uh, object-oriented programming mm -hmm. as with just drag and drop, basically. Cool. And I, I st actually think it's still probably the best. I wish it, it doesn't exactly exist. Like this company called StageCast bought it. And then somebody else recently started working on a version of it, which I should find, because it's amazing. It was like... Yeah. Um, I don't even know how I would describe it quickly on a podcast, but it's tough without images. But basically, it was like this very cool programming structure for kids where the game is on a grid, and because it's on a grid, you can sort of leverage a lot of really simple stuff to make rules and like have mm -hmm. objects that follow the rules. Um, and I made a bunch of games for that. And then I read in Macworld about this kid in California who was making games for it. And I cold emailed him and I was like, I want to work with you on your next game. And he was like, cool. And then we made a game together. Wow, that's awesome. And that was really rad. And then, um, and then, uh, and then basically I like got to, <laughs> hey, I, hey, I'm a, you're a kid. I'm a kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't, up. I wish I had that email, um, <laughs> but it was cool. And it was really fun to like, yeah. be like a, a, like a 12 year old collaborating with a 12 year old over mm -hmm. the internet, like on 56 K modems and that stuff. It was cool. really weird. Yeah. Future experience. Um, you'd think it would have taught me to better 
be better at working with people. I'm still working <laughs> on that. Um, but th- that was uh, so. Then I did that, and then Stagecast bought Coco, and then they were really cool, and they were like, "Come help us teach kids how to use this software." Like we're trying to launch it. So then I did stuff with that, and then and then I was in. Um, then I went to Computer Camp, and I learned Basic mm. and C plus plus, um, and then I went. To, and then I went to high school and learned programming and yeah and then I programmed now I'm a programmer <laughs> did you uh but you also were doing art as well yeah so the whole time I was doing um art I did a lot of photography in high school and drawing and then mm-hmm. I went to college and in college I went to Skidmore uh in New York and okay. I went there because they had a good computer. I bet at campus Oh yeah, it's a beautiful campus. They had the uh, uh, National College Comedy Festival at Skidmore. Oh, right? I believe that they had. They were a big comedy. There's like a yeah. bunch of yeah. So that was where my college comedy group went to perform the very first time we performed off of our own campus. Oh, was at cool. That festival. Wh- which college? I went to Bard College. Oh, and I cool. was in a group yeah. called Old English, and we went and performed there, and we got we got a standing ovation from the other college comedy groups, right? But we were just like, oh, we're, like, good. <laughs> and that was, like, my first – that was, like, such a formative comedy experience. Yeah. Everyone's getting laughs, you know what I mean? But And we, and we were, like, not coming in with more experience than anybody else, but, they, but just, like, we were f- the funniest, and we were like, oh, shit. And that was, like, my Whoa, first that's conception of myself as being, like – Oh, we could like do comedy, you know, was that experience. Anyway, that's yeah, like, my yay, own skip more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's um, a cool place. I think they still do that festival. Bunch of nice people. Um, so yeah, and uh but turned out their computer science program sucked and their art no offense, sorry, Skidmore. And um their mm-hmm. art program was incredible. So I just was like, All right, forget computer science, I'm just gonna make art and I spent a bunch of years just doing art. Yeah, if you're if your folks had wanted you if there had been people going like, This kid, let's really make him into a computer scientist, they probably wouldn't have sent you to Skidmore. <laughs> like because <laughs> I also wanted to do computer. I remember like being a kid and wanted to. I want to be a computer programmer and like make video games stuff like that. And my parents were like, yeah, yeah, you'll go to a liberal arts school. And I went to Bard, and I still did. Comp- but you know, like it wasn't the place to. It wasn't like I. Yeah. Well, I I actually um I, I originally when I was younger I wanted to go to MIT and then I went to um to with. <laughs> I'm telling too many stories for this to be a coherent narrative. Um, I went to, I did a, I was a CIT at MIT for computer camp one year. A CIT? Yeah, like a counselor in training. So like I went and I helped people like learn to program. And um, I learned this incredible fact about MIT, which is that if you go to the student center in MIT at uh, between the hours of 5 and 7 p.m., there is someone crying on the steps every day. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to go to the school. This is fucked up. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was that. And then I wanted to go to Skidmore. Um, and uh, I don't know. I probably could have gone wherever, wherever I wanted to go that I could have gotten in. I'm very stubborn, and I make one decision. So when we yeah. were doing college tours, I got out of the car at Skidmore, and it had just rained, and it smelled great. And I was like, I'm going here. This is school. That's great. Uh, and that's where I went. But, uh, yeah, so they had a – so I did art, and it was really great. And I did a lot of – I had a lot of very meaningful art experiences. And when the senior show was coming up, um, I was uh, thinking about what I was going to make. And I remembered being in high school and 
seeing like all of the work of like the like early like flash pioneers like PlayStation.com and all this like these cool like physics art experiments and I was like I that was art I could do something like that like mm-hmm. I think I remember how to program um, and so I started doing that and I did a couple of these like conceptual pieces and then I moved to New York City and I was uh, at IBM and I worked with Zach Lieberman who's this incredible IBM like sort of art technology yeah. uh, incubator kind of place yep um, and I uh, worked with these incredible artists there and then I went to Parsons uh, uh, MFA DT which is design and technology I did my MFA there and yeah. th- that was all this like conceptual art stuff and then kind of at the end of that I was doing some stuff on the iPhone and uh, I got my girlfriend, who's now my wife, an iPhone, and she downloaded Tetris. And I was like, this sucks. Like, this is terrible. <laughs> this is Tetris on the iPhone. This is bad. I can make something better than this. Yeah. Um, and then I got hooked to making games. Yeah. So how did you go for Because what you're describing, right, is that trajectory, iBeam and everything else. I'm like, all right, this is a dude who's going to be making, you know, cool art, like your lose-lose game, right? right? Which uh, conceptual art games that are going to push the medium forward among the small number of people who know them and and much beloved. Like, that's the trajectory I would imagine. Not, hey, this is the dude who made uh, Solitaire, right? right? Like an incredibly popular Solitaire game or a pool game or or et cetera, et cetera. So how how does that transition happen? I mean, it, it was slow. I think the main thing into making games was I made this game Unify, which was my multi-touch Tetris kind of game, and mm-hmm. and Lose Lose around the same time. And I went to um, IndieCade, and everybody at IndieCade was incredibly cool. And like everybody who I met is like now a famous game designer. <laughs> like it was, I mean, I is like everybody. Um, what year was that? 2009. Oh, okay. So yeah, it was well, like 10 years ago, yeah. Gaijin Games and Doug Wilson and like uh, JW and Rami and of Lambeer mm-hmm. and Jason Rohrer and uh, Greg Woolwind and Mike Boxleiter. I mean, just like a Terry Cavanaugh, like every everybody. And I was yeah. like, holy cow, what? who are these incredible people? And they're all friendly and they all kind of knew my games and were like excited for me to be a part of this community. And so like initially that was like a really big thing was just like to have this like amazing experience with this community that was so positive and smart and interesting and like not in it for the money and like ch- doing these interesting challenges and making these beautiful games. And then at the same time, having had this like foundational experience with having released Lose Lose and seeing the conversation about it. Um, and then uh, for me at that time, it was really a struggle because I was like, oh, you know, art is so important and so powerful. And um, I don't know if I should be making games like I think I can leverage them a little bit, but to do these things that I wanted to do with art. But like, you know, it's also like, am I just making like little toys for people? Like, am I moving away mm-hmm. from this career that's going to be like deeply meaningful and powerful to like make little toys? Um, but I was working with uh, one of my friends, Amit Pitaru, who is like at the time, like also kind of like a super amazing um, conceptual programming artist. He's like always, he's like about 10 years ahead of me. And he's like kind of like always been this person who I could talk to because he's like in my career, but in 10 years. Uh, and he was just like, you know what, man, nobody knows what things are going to be. You should just keep chasing this thing. If it feels like really cool and important because nobody knows what matters and like, you'll just do it. And so I was like, all right, I, yeah, I guess I'll just keep going. And I think talking to him about it was really helpful for like 
kind of making me feel less bad about spending less time on iron and more on games. So the, so was this idea even at that time coalescing of of games that would cause people to think critically and or solve problems like in the early yeah, stages? Yeah. I think the the way that I would have termed it back then was that I was making art where I was looking at the systems that were around me in my life and finding places where you could like say something that would cause like a collision of rules. Like Mm. people think things behave one way and things actually behave this way. And if you build the right thing, you can get them to see that like the rules that they think they understand and the rules that exist don't don't work. Mm -hmm. And so you have that moment and then you step back and you go, whoa, what else doesn't work? Like what's happening in the world? And that's what I was trying to do with my art. And then with games, I, I would I would have said, okay, well, with games, I can just do that whole thing in like its own self-enclosed thing. I can make a bunch of rules and do things and have people come at that and have a bunch of expectations and then have them collide in a way such that people like have to step back and go, whoa, okay, that's not how it works. And then come up with a way that it does work and get rewarded for doing that. And so I was trying to like have that same sort of like step back moment, which I've now evolved into the way I was explaining it before. But that's what I would have said back then. So it was very much like the very first thing I was trying to do with games was do things that would do that i don't think at the time i really understood how like what that audience looked like on on mobile and Uh like where that literacy like my games originally were not like so targeted towards this like other literacy Um, yeah well that came later the first game of yours that i remember that that to me seems like of a piece with these others that i remember hearing about was really bad chess right sure um was there an earlier one before that? Yeah, Spell Tower would have oh, been. Oh, Spell Tower. That. Of course I played Spell Tower as well. I did not get fully hooked on Spell Tower. I don't remember why. I remember downloading it and I remember not something. You know what I mean? Oh, that's like okay. I I'm I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I'm so sorry. They're not all winners. But yes, of course Spell Tower. Um It was probably cuz you had to pay for it. No, no, I no, I pay for all games. No, I, I'm saying that like set you in the bad track and you just didn't get Oh, cuz I was mood. in a bad mood. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I had to pay for this. <laughs> but Spell Tower like um uh I know that it was a hit and and it probably partially because it hit like word game people, right? Which is a whole like I think has to be a whole audience like crossword puzzle. As I said, like I'm, you know, I'm the kind of person I always go back to doing the crossword puzzle on my phone. I think there's a lot of people that way. They just want to play a word game. Right. They like words. So was it like you? It was that you stumbling into? Oh, there's like a broader audience here, or? Yeah, there were a lot of things that. Um, I mean, I think at that point in time, I had made Unify. And then Bitpilot and Halcyon and then Spell Tower. And I was like desperate to make a game that like was financially successful so that I could like, <laughs> well, and that like people could play. But like also, I was like, like I want to establish this as a career. Like I, you know, when you're trying to get started in art, like the money has to come from somewhere. Yeah. And at the time, I was, you know, doing a lot of teaching and I was giving workshops and stuff and I was basically like and I was also doing a lot of like contract work for ad agencies and so like I really wanted to have a game and like my friends were at in you know these indicate like geniuses so like Terry's making like V and making all this Mm -hmm. money and like I was like I want to like I want to not have to do this ad contract work like how do I make a game that will like be successful and get out of this ad contract work and so at the time I was really focusing on trying to understand like what it would take to get people to get to the 
part of games that were that of my games that were interesting and how to like help like a broader audience get there. I always had this problem when I was in when I when I was in when I was younger, I was like getting really bad grades on my book reports because um, my book reports I would just write uh, what I thought about the book and not what was in the book. And my mom was like, you have to write down what happened in the book. And I was like, why would you do that? I know what happened. The book happened. The teachers read it. Why would I do that? And she was like, no, the teacher doesn't know that you know what happened in the book. That's the point of this. And like, That's a good point. What a bizarre project because you're just writing it to prove that you right. – That's not something anybody needs to read. Though. Right. No, they want my thoughts as a fourth grader about what happened yeah. in the book. Um and so so that's like that problem has really followed me my whole life and i think a big learning point in spell tower was like how do i figure out how to like like i know how to play the game and i'm giving the game to people so they'll figure it out and like enjoy it and they'll get to the point but that wasn't happening people weren't getting to the part that was enjoyable something was blocking them and with spell tower so like that was like the problem that i was like laser focused on trying to solve and the thing that was totally mind blowing about spell tower that i think is really what made it a hit is spell tower has this mode called puzzle mode where you make a word spell tower is sort of like a mashup between tetris and word games where you mm-hmm. like make a word and then all the letters rise and then you mm-hmm. make another word and then they rise again and so if you like can't make a word in a certain place or you make a word badly like parts of the tower will get too high and they'll go off the top of the screen and you'll lose. And that's the game of Spell Tower. But I uh, gave it to this guy who worked at the um, New Yorker, uh, the New Yorker magazine, mm-hmm. and oh, I know it. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. Maybe you've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and he like played it and didn't get it and handed it back to me. And I was like, okay, something is fundamentally wrong here because people I know who are obsessed with word games like this game, and this guy writes for the New Yorker, and yeah. he didn't get it. Something is yeah, wrong. This guy's done a fucking crossword puzzle in his life. So yeah. What, what's going so on? So what's here? wrong? Yeah. So. Um, I ended up making this other mode in the game called Tower Mode that's just a grid of letters. And it's a set of letters, and you just make words until there are no, uh, until you can't find any more words. Like, mm-hmm. so you like eliminate tiles, and then yeah. eventually there are none left, or there are a couple left that you can't use. And then you hit, I'm done. And so there's no stress at all. Mm-hmm. You, it ends when you want. There's nothing happening. All you're doing is searching for words. Everybody knows how to find words. And, um, I gave it back to him and he played the mode and he like figured out all the weird things where you're like, oh, like eventually you're like, oh, this Q, I can't use it, but there's a U there. And if I make this word, then the U will fall and now I can use the Q. Yeah. Like that realization, like for him to have that realization on his own, yeah. like is what made him understand the game. And as yeah. soon as he did that, then he could play the game. And I was like, holy cow, like what, what happened here? What is this? Like, why does this work? What's this mode? And I realized that there's this distinction between the part of the game where you tell people how to play mm-hmm. and then you, the real tutorial is just like a sandbox where they fi- yeah. figure out how to play. Like you tell yeah. them the rules, but then you need to give them the space to figure out how to play. And then when they're done figuring out how to play, then they'll go and play the game. Yeah. And then it turned out a lot of the people who play Spell Tower, they never even play the puzzle part. They just play the tower over and over and over again and it's weird because the tower over and over and over again is actually the hardest possible mode because you're trying to like pack as many super high value words into the super tiny like it's incredibly technical yeah Yeah. and difficult um and it turns out like that's the that's the mode that almost everybody plays Mm. um and that's what bejeweled is 
it's like this easy thing and you yeah. play it and it seems like it's so simple and there's no stress at all. And then the more you play it, the more you start to impose your own level of stress on it. And then it actually gets really hard. And then it's this like incredibly hard, weird thing. So that was the thing that I sort of discovered with Spell Tower. And that's been that like, yeah. that was the seed of the, of the um, critical thinking, like cracking that problem that I was And you don't have before. to, you still don't have to get there to enjoy it. But right. if you, but once you do get there, You've gotten there yourself. The game isn't saying, "Hey, you got to do this hard mode," or, "Or if you're really good, you'll figure out this part." You like get there simply by playing it over and over again. It's like uh, I can think of I can think of like various like uh, I can think of various iPhone games that work that way on me. Uh, Flip Flop Solitaire did work that way on me, where I was like, "Oh, I'm playing the easy," one. and they're like, "No, I want to do five suit." No, fuck it. I want to do it, you know, or like and I'll try to do some of the hard challenges. Um, uh, I remember like or when I play like threes occasionally still. Does that does that fit for you? Yeah, because it it, it lets you in like it's designing a game that's like not immediately telling people that this game is too hard and that they should go away. It like lets you do the part that that, you can have a great time playing threes. Just going just just scrolling up left. Right, just like combining, yeah, and then you're done, and it's like I'm fine. My anxiety is gone, or I'm, I'm, my podcast went by a little more quickly on my flight. Or you can go like, I really want to get that higher number. How do I do it? And then you're like hyper monitoring every tile on the board. Um, I'm just assuming people who listen. To this well, no, that's threes, that's but. the beautiful part of threes is that like you, it has long stretches of time where the stuff that you do matters very, very, very little. Yeah. And then suddenly you're in a moment where the thing that you're doing is actually unbelievably important. Right. And you have to do the right thing. And if you do it, then you get back into a period of time where the stuff that you are doing matters less. But it still matters a little bit more than it mattered the first time. Yeah. And then eventually, like, everything you're doing matters an incredible amount and it's very stressful. And then you lose. Wow. This is... uh... I really am enjoying this conversation because it's helping me think about these things in a new way. Like I've always uh, getting back to what you were saying earlier about how people rarely enter that space and you're trying to invite them into that space of critical thinking, exploring a game that way. Um, That idea that people don't often do that is a little bit new to me because I've Mm. been playing like. You know, the last couple of years, I, I started playing Dark Souls late. Um, I remember the first time I got Dark Souls, it was like a, there was a free copy floating around the College Humor offices, and I brought it home, and I had a friend over, and we got to, like, the first uh, uh, demon, right, the first big boss, and we were like, okay, fuck this. <laughs> fuck yeah. this. I was like, this feels clunky. What is this? I don't know. Like, the discourse wasn't there. That's how the I felt place. about it, too, when yeah. I first played it. Oh, yeah. I was, I was like, oh, these attack animations are weird. And, and like, okay, you got me with the big boss. But, like, I'm not going to be. Oh, I think we did beat it. And then we got to that first talker who's, like, at the Firelink Shrine who's, like, um, the one who's like in the prison and is uh-huh. like she, you know, you can like rekindle flame and it's like, but you don't. And I was like, what the fuck is this? No. But then a couple of years later, I was, I was like, okay, no, I want to do it. And my, and so I've you know gotten very deep into those types of games and I try to encourage other people to to play them and they're like, oh, the game is hard. And I'm like, no, 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 actually, it's not hard. There's there might be stuff you have to practice, but mostly it just you need patience and you need yeah. to be looking around an environment and thinking, you know, okay, how do I make progress? It, it asks you to 
put in some effort and think creatively. Um, and that's my favorite thing in games, right? Like even the you know the Witness people are like, oh, that's such a hard puzzle game. Like no, it's, it's actually not that hard. You just need to like keep looking at it for a little bit longer, yeah. right? And so that's my perspective. That's what I tell other people. Um, but what you're saying is actually it is hard because most of the time we're not thinking that way, um, e- even in our adult lives, as you said. Um, it's actually is kind of hard to think that way. Well, not only that, but that's what hard is. Like, that's what hard means. We think hard means lots of different things. Like, because games have, like, hard and easy difficulty. And then it's, like, hard difficulty is, like, the monsters do more damage. So you have to practice more. But, like, Mm -hmm. that's not hard. Like, that's you just have to practice this thing that you already understand. Or, like, hardcore games are not harder than, like, easy games. It's just different sets of literacy. Hard is the process of, like, how much do you have to step back and, like, actually, like, critically mm. think about this? That's what difficulty is. Because there's a couple different... Because, I mean, Super Meat Boy is hard in a different way, right? Or right. Do you think yeah, it's, it's or not do you think cognitively it's... hard, right? It's, yeah. like, trigger twitch hard, which is what most things are. That's most of what people say hard is. Yeah. But, like, I don't think that that's even that hard. Like, <laughs> learning how to play Super Meat Boy well is so much easier than learning how to like navigate a 3D space and remember where the different places are and yeah. know that like I've turned left and I've gone down this hallway and then I go that like we live in a world where almost everybody uses GPSs in their cars for directions because they're so bad at the skill of knowing where things yeah. are like that's hard I that's never like a new skill yeah. learning how to like skateboard is hard like learning how to solve yeah. arithmetic problems such that you can do it in like two seconds instead of two minutes yeah. that's that's tough that's like a skill you need to practice but it's not like i wouldn't consider it hard because you're just getting better at something that you already know which is what meat boy is you're you like play it and you can't do the level and you practice and practice and practice and practice and then you can do the level you know it's like learning to play a song on the flute and learning to write songs on the flute are not the same and they're both (laughs) difficult but learning to write songs that's hard oh man wow yeah Oh, this is mind expanding. Um, it makes me think of how uh, you know my dad is uh, close to seventy now. I think. Um, sorry for not knowing my dad's exact age, but um, I he, forgive you. He was uh, like over the course of my life, I've always played video games. He played them a little bit. For some reason, he went through a short period in the late '90s of like me getting him PC games. Like he played the original Half Life, which I still have never played, but he played it. <laughs> And then so, but you know, back when PC games were really point and shoot, first person shooters, you know, um, now in the last year, he came over to visit me and he saw me and uh, Lisa playing Red Dead Redemption 2. And he was like, I think I kind of want to play video games. And I was like, wonderful. I'm so excited. Yeah. I'm so excited for my dad to play video games. So I got him a PlayStation 4 and I've been getting him games and trying to figure out exactly what it is what is going to be hard for him is really more complex than i thought it oh, would be oh yeah it because the things that he's had the best time with are uh just in the playstation 4 library it's been difficult like i got him doom which seems like hard but i'm like he understands how a first person shooter works and then he also did pretty well with Uncharted with the Uncharted games. Sure, that makes sense. Because those are like nice and straightforward. And he's actually played the first one and then the second one, and now he's on the third one. So he's just going through them like that. (laughs) Um, But he also got Red Dead Redemption 2 because that was being advertised on TV. And (laughs) 
it's so funny. I, I wish I would record these phone calls. He called me up and he was like, Adam, what Red Dead Redemption 2. What am I supposed to do? Yeah. <laughs> what do I do? And I was like, I can't explain. You because you missed from going to like, you know, Doom or Uncharted to Red Dead Redemption 2. It's almost like 15 years of context that yeah. he's lost. And I don't know how to how to bring it to him. And so now he's like, uh, he just had knee surgery and he's like, I want a new video game and I need to bring in more games. And I don't know what to I don't know what he's gonna find hard in the right way because that issue of literacy is so complex and i also don't know what he's going to have the right into like what what is right. he going to find challenging and interesting because you know you hear about like you know oh this 80 year old person got super into dark souls or like you know the, the grandma with the skyrim youtube channel right? right who like get they they really find it but it's so hard to know who's going to respond to what to what thing that's such a complex question. Yeah, and I, I think, <laughs> yes, it is. Um, but I think also the thing that makes it extra hard is most of the skills to do this stuff we learned when we were kids. Mm. And kids are just sucking up information. They like, kids will poke everything in the system until they figure out what the thing to do is. And adults don't do that. Adults like have these patterns that they follow. Yeah. Um, so I don't even know. Like maybe Final Fantasy Mystic Quest would be good. To do that. <laughs> Final Fantasy Mystic Quest for the Super Nintendo. The 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 Final Fantasy that was advertised as the easy Final Fantasy. Yeah. You know, though, um, I played through it with my wife, oh, and yeah? she learned how to play Final Fantasy from it. And then wow. now we're working through the other Final Fantasies. But like, she didn't know. You know, like how to like how to how to use items and like combat, like the thing in RPG combat where you're like, okay, I could hit this guy, but this other character is stronger, and I don't want to use them on this guy who's yeah. almost dead. So I'm going to use them on this guy, and then I'm going to hit like that that concept. Yeah. Why Why would anyone know that concept? Yeah. So she learned that or on like, her own in Final Fantasy Mystic Quest, and now she's like totally onto that track of games. yeah. Or like using your magic healing items before the potions because you'll be able right. to refresh your MP more easily than you can. Oh, but watch out because the MP refreshing items are rare and da da da, like that sort of thing. Yeah. So maybe you need to find the game that introduces the idea of open worldness. Yeah, like Grand Theft Auto Two. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah, because well, I'm at that, that. So you can have that moment for the first time of like, wow. Well, so that that's uh, it, it's interesting to me. I didn't mean to go down on a rabbit no, hole. It's of, okay. Maybe you, help me <laughs> pick out a gift guide. This been a whole podcast of rabbit holes. <laughs> but what, like the fact that as a designer, you're like actively thinking about that in a way, is seems very rare. That's all I'm thinking about. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fun. Yeah, it, I I think it's just it's really hard. It's a really hard problem, and yeah. that makes it really fun for me to think about. Yeah, um, but you know, uh, I never think about stories, and I think mostly that's what people care about. So it's probably good that I'm games. rare. Yeah, I think people mostly care about art and stories. Hmm. Um, I think the set of people who care about solving complicated problems is like small but big i don't know actually you know what i don't know how anything works in games i heard this number a couple years ago that has stuck with me which is that the number of people who know how to use a video game controller mm -hmm. in the world is like 250 million people so that's the like ceiling 
of mm-hmm. any AAA game. Like it could yeah. never reach more than 250 million That's people. That's more than I would have guessed, frankly. Oh, really? Considering there's 7 billion people on Earth, 250 million people know how to use a controller. But uh, there are like 2 billion people on mobile phones. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you look at that and it's like, like there are more than 250 million people probably playing Minecraft, right? Mm-hmm. So like that could have, that could never, or playing, playing Pokemon Go, like those games literally scaled to a size that is bigger than the entirety of the push button console game market. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's what, that like that audience is like tiny compared to the number of people yeah. who play games now. And, and, the, and the number of, things that the number of experiences those people have been truly brought you know people who who have the phones in their pockets that are like revelatory is so small like i remember the the month that pokemon go came out and i remember going to like the park and there were just hundreds of people yeah it was so i was like this is one of the most beautiful things yeah it's one of the coolest experiences i've ever had with a video game or otherwise really like i remember walking down the street and somebody was like, yo, there's a Pikachu two blocks up. Just go that way. And it's like, and I was like, yes, thank you. And like, we just like ran off. Yeah. It's like I never interacted with someone on the street in New York City like that before. Yeah. That was incredible. And and I don't think that specifically could happen again because it relied on the newness of it to some extent. Um, or I'm, I'm well, not maybe sure. some something else new could come yeah. along. Yeah. Well, that's what that's yeah. what I mean. The, the number of game experiences like that that like that wider audience has had is like very small yeah um and they would play it they you know that they would be eager for it um that's a really that's a really cool thought What is it like for you in the in the industry? Like, I'm I'm always sort of curious because you know I interface with the industry as as a person who plays and who likes to talk to people. And I'm like I'm like orbiting around the edges trying to understand it. Um, but you like occupy this very specific spot because your your games. I, I'm just guessing must must be like high tier in terms of how many downloads you know you get i don't know i have no idea but i'm just like i don't know either you you don't you don't know really (laughs) no i mean i would assume that i mean i don't think there are a lot of solo people who have successful careers in indie development but Mm -hmm. i don't know that like you know i i don't really know how i'm doing compared to everybody else like surely there are lots of successful teams and things. i wasn't trying to yeah i'm sorry i'm not trying to engage you in a comparison of like your numbers to other people but what i wanted to point out was that like when you look at the games that are hits that mom can play Mm. right oh yeah most most of them are coming from big companies um of like mobile game companies right king or whatever right um I'm having trouble thinking of another person who is an like a solo developer or like an indie type developer where you're are touring the games, you're thinking, you know, you're you're conceiving of the game, putting it together in that way, yet, you know, operating sort of on that level. Um, is that sound accurate? Am I? In the yeah, I mean, I think that finding that that niche is part of what has made this work for mm-hmm. me as a career. I think. Yeah. Um, because I, I think other people are interested in different things, and so that's not the right niche for them. And it's a weird, 
it's a weird niche. Like it's hard to um, it's hard to target people in their 30s through 70s with games. Like you can't advertise yeah. to them. You have to do word of mouth basically because no, you know, how do you like especially when Spell Tower was starting, it was like how do you get the word out to everybody's parents about a yeah. game? Like you can't. It's not possible. The only way you do it is by having them find out and then tell each other. Um, yeah. and I think uh, that ended up being pretty lucky for me as like mobile has matured, word of mouth has become really important. And yeah. so focusing on that early kind of gave me a little bit of an edge there. Is that audience starting to like learn your name at all? Because like, it, you know, for video game enthusiasts, right? It's like, oh, I love From Software. What's their new game? Or I like this develop. I like Kojima or whatever, right? Um, but, you know, your games are being played by folks who aren't used to operating. Maybe they know Nintendo. But you know they're not used to thinking of games as coming from a person or from a developer. Um, yet I do notice that like you know Apple's little uh, the articles they write now, which are like a good example example of Apple doing good curation. I think like they've been like, oh, here's Zach Gage's new game. They got a little quote from you, and they're like talking about how this game relates to the previous one, etc. Like are 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 there like ants out there who are like, oh, Zach's got a new game. I, I hope so. I don't know. I mean, I think that's something I'm pushing really hard. I think that that um, to me, you know, it fits into a lot of the other stuff that we've talked about. Where it's like, I don't think, um, I don't think mediums can be cultural, like culturally deeply important, unless you understand that there are people behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, obviously is part of why I like your podcast. <laughs> Thank um, you. But it's like I think that's like that's a big part of it. You know, I think with with movies you see the people and with music you see the people and with books like the the author's names are so big on the cover and it's obvious someone has done the this thing and with games it's like you need to be able to think as a kid that you could be the person who did this thing in this game like you need to be able to fantasize about being on the other side of the media for it to be like culturally deep yeah to you and so um that's one of the so because of that i'm like i really try to push hard with um, a lot of the ways that I do my PR and the way that I sort of cross promote within games to like lead with this idea that like, Hey, this is me. I made this. I'm the mm-hmm. person who made this. And like, cool. here's some other stuff that I did. Um, and, and also like when I do, um, when I do PR, I always talk about, I try to pitch articles that are about the broader thing about why I did something rather than here's what the new game is and here's all the rules. It's like, oh no, I'm exploring this concept because like it's me, this artist who makes these things and I want to like push this idea. Um, I think the other part of of trying to push um, being a human behind it uh, so hard is I think the way that my new theory on the way that like broad literacy develops in culture is that like, I think with movies, people started to get movie literacy when like the second wave of of directors came out when mm-hmm. you had like Kubrick and Spielberg and yeah. stuff. Because if you watched two Kubrick movies and you go, oh yeah, those, those were kind of similar. And then you watch two Spielberg movies and you're like, oh, those were kind of similar. And then you go, wait a minute, the Kubrick movies and the Spielberg movies, they're not similar at all. But like within <laughs> them, they're, they're very similar. And right. then your brain has to go, why? Why did that? Like, what are the things that like, yeah. I guess the way they look at the world, what's that called? Like, that's how you get, you know, this idea of cinematography out into the mainstream. And mm-hmm. so for me, like, I want to live in a world where, you know, games are made by 
lots of people frequently, and crediting is a whole complicated thing. Um, but I want to live in a world where people do know the names of the, the people who are like bringing these games to them because I think nobody looks at like all the U Ubisoft games and it's like oh those are pretty similar and then they look at the EA games and they're like oh those are similar but different because it's not the case because those yeah. games are all made by all these different teams and all, you know you can kind of do it with Respawn a little bit like under EA if you know yeah. that there are but like it's very hard and I think um, when you can connect things more strongly to a specific person's vision even if they're not the only person involved but like maybe you can like see the, 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 the peaks of where the, the game game design like shows up in your brain like our bias specific person you yeah. can do like with Kojima this is like so clear with Kojima especially with his new game like you can really see his part of that or like Keita Takahashi you can really see like what mm -hmm. he's putting into these games I think that the more people who are aware of like those sort of like lineages of games and then be able to compare them to other ones I think that's how we eventually like really cross the bridge into like this world where people have some kind of literacy once people are like thinking about the individuals and what they brought to it artistically and like what their what their style is yeah like why are these things similar and how do i even describe their similarities in a way that explains why they're different than these other things and not like oh this one doesn't have crafting all these games have crafting <laughs> like like deeper stuff you know right right yeah and it's and you're right as it is it's like difficult to figure out who on so many large games, like who brought what to the to the table, and and you're also never presented. I mean, yeah, it's the reason for this podcast is you're never presented with. Here's the person who did this work. You know what I mean? I had a, uh, you know, um, it has not come out yet, but it will by the time this airs. We had Kim Swift on the show, um, who I was really excited to talk to because I'm like, ah, that had always been described as the level designer of portal right. right and i'm like okay this okay the person who designed the and then we talked to oh she's part of a team she did everything as they all did on that game right but like just knowing like oh that was a job and somebody did it <laughs> and then that person went to work on other things you can go play quantum conundrum and it's got similar design and you can see a lineage there and and like you know what is that relationship with like tutorialization and all those other sort of things that's what you're talking about is being able to do that much more often yeah i mean you know Somewhere in each subsection of the understanding of media, there's, mm -hmm. you know, with music, you have got like the people who wrote it and the people who performed it and the people who edited it. And like in those places, like somebody in that spot, even when there are a lot of people, is like the person who decided this is what it's going to be like and everybody else is trying to like hew to that mm -hmm. right because they're saying like no yes whatever you know and the same thing in movies like there's like you've got like the editing people and like the directors and the cinematographers and the writers and the actors and like in all those zones there's somebody somebody who's like got final say on something and I, I'm sure that's true in video games like even on these big teams <laughs> there are people who yeah. are like the person who's like I'm going to fucking make this happen like this is yeah. happening and it's going to be good because it's going to look like this um and uh or at least there's a small number of people like that or they're distributed they're, there's like right there's like yeah. the people on the level building team and there's the people on the story team and they're right. right like but it's not so yeah maybe there's like 200 people who worked on a game and like all those people deserve like loads of credit it's amazing to me that any game can happen with a team that big but like mm -hmm. there are people who are like arbiters of like these sort of decisions that you can trace if you know where this person came from 
from and why they did things and like what their style is and what and like I think it's important that we sort of like start to try to push these yeah. kind of people up up to the the surface of like PR so that you know we can understand these works better you know not only yeah. can we get this literacy but it's like there are things that that you can't know about the reasons why someone did something. There's like depth to stuff that you don't understand until you've played like three or four games from somebody. There's stuff yeah. you understand about their style and their outlook. Um, yeah. They they need space to. Um, the one thing I talk about a lot with like artists and like new game makers is like you can't expect that your first game is going to be successful, especially if you're doing something that's radical. Like you need to build a number of games so that you have mm -hmm. a universe so that when people come in, they understand that like there are all these different things and they can start to make like they can start to understand things about you and why you're doing stuff and learn how to relate to your games and like how to like I think Michael Bro's games are like a perfect example of this. Like mm -hmm. if you just played oh, like yeah. Corrupt, it doesn't make any sense. But if you yeah. play like Eight Six Eight Hack can, can and you, Imbroglio, can you describe because I have played a bunch of his games, but uh, can you just describe what they what they are like? Michael Bro. Michael Bro is this. Um, incredible extremely uh stubborn and fantastic designer who uh makes these very specific kind of puzzle games he does mm -hmm. a lot of like roguelike games he does a lot of games that are like on very small grids like four by four or three by three yeah um and they're always they're like very heavily into like you need to learn this weird inscrutable system he did a game recently that the whole game's in portuguese i played this game and and that is like a puzzle in the game is that like you need to learn a little Portuguese and the whole game this game is so cool because it's about uh, it's a game where you collect wands right and you yeah. don't know what the wands do until you use the wand and then it's like it, it identifies it like an identify scroll in a in well it, it doesn't even totally identify it it mm. identifies the things about it that triggered yeah. So everyone has like six abilities, but some of them are context specific. So yeah. you might not know everything about a wand, even though you've used it four yeah. times. Um, but but the because the entire game, and when we say game, we mean the entire game, the instructions, the menus, right? Everything is the in name. Portuguese, which is not a language that it's not because he's not Portuguese, right? Um, it's just he chose the. I don't know why he chose a language. Portuguese. He was learning it at the time. <laughs> So it ends up having the same effect where now there're not a ton of words in the game but when you are reading the the when you're reading the menu you're like which one of these is new game and which one is options i need to test them and figure out which one it is and now i know just like you do with the fucking ones yeah. in the game it's so cool yeah yeah it's <laughs> it's it's freaking beautiful but it yeah. like can so easily come off as inscrutable unless right. you know Michael Bro stuff like once yes. you know it and you're like oh it's a new bro oh of course oh wow what a like cool mm -hmm. like you need to have that like little universe and I think that's true of like everything and I think it's true of the people who are like doing the level design or doing the writing like yeah. I think when you expand those universes and start to understand them that's when you really start to understand like what makes people similar and different and where you start to build that literacy yeah sometimes sometimes I think like I'm playing Death Strand Stranding right now I'm having a good time with Death Stranding but you know sometimes I think the the like worship of Kojima is like kind of silly, and I'm like, you know, it's like why why is this one guy being elevated when you know? Uh, but maybe the question I should be asking is like, why aren't we like that with so many more developers, right? Um, because 
it allows you to go like, oh yeah, I mean his uh, his writing is like really weird, and you know, except that once you understand this about it, and then you kind of learn to enjoy it, and like the weird, like it's only because I played Metal Gear Solid Five and like all the really crunchy military like you know, options and et cetera in that, like in Death Stranding, I'm like, oh, he just likes that. And right. now he's applying that to picking up boxes, which is ludicrous, but also I learned how to enjoy that little thing that he enjoys too, that he put in there. And so that, so I'm interfacing in that way. It's allowing me to understand it because I understand him a little bit, which is what you're talking about. And so rather than asking like, oh, why are we, you know, why is this one dude sucking up all the oxygen? Um, it's really why, why isn't, why aren't we doing this to, to yeah, so why is all the oxygen being given to him? <laughs> let's get some more people in there. Let's just get more just oxygen. Yeah. He, can, he can have his oxygen, but let's get some more oxygen and give it to more people. You know? <laughs> well, I think, I, think there's, I think there's plenty of oxygen. And I think if we yeah. had more people out there, that would even spur even more attention being mm-hmm. paid to like creators. And, you know, like I think when you think about media and the space that people who are doing work get it's a it's a two-way street right part of it is um you know the amount of time that the media has for specific people and how many stories they're going to write and who they're going to give the attention to but the other part of it is how interested people are in learning about these people and hearing their stories and getting the attention and as you get people who are um you know similar to games as you get an audience that has more literacy that has more interest that's like exploring this further you get the opportunity to to have those conversations and have deeper conversations and share them more wide mainstream do you do you think sort of a complicated conversation but something i think about is that it often feels as though you know video games are often so specific to their audience, right? Because of all the reasons we talked about, the number of people who know how to use a dual stick controller, right? right. Um, and those, you know, only people who know how to use dual stick controllers are, are paying $60 for games. Uh, and so the games end up being made just for those people. And you end up with, hey, it's a huge audience. You can make, you know, Red Dead Redemption 2 can make however much fucking money it made. Um, but it's going to be sort of limited to those folks. And those folks have like specific needs and specific demands and specific things that they're interested and in, not interested in. And then that ends up like being filtered through the games. And you sort of get this distorted relationship sometimes, it feels like, right? Whereas like, you know, movies, hey, anybody can go see a movie, <laughs> right? You know, you don't have like, I mean, yeah, you've got Marvel fans or whatever, but you're not like limited in that way. Um, do, I don't know. Do you have any, do you have any relationship to that, to that issue? Are you trying to expand that, that, you know, customer base, that, that not a customer base, audience base? I mean, I think games, one thing that is just true about games that you just have to live with is that they're really hard to learn and they're very complicated. Mm-hmm. And uh, you see this all the time. I mean, like, I have a podcast about roguelike games and I've played like five. Like, I think I like like four. <laughs> like, roguelikes are so complicated that you yeah. just try them and you bounce off because, like, unless you're going to learn every single little detail. And some genres of games are more complicated than others. And people like really complicated games, but they don't like learning all of this stuff. So it's like, yeah, we have a million Pokemon games, but, like, there are lots of other games that are really fascinating that are less complicated than Pokemon, but it's still too complicated for people to learn because they already learned Pokemon and they just want to like exist in that space. And I think that's okay. Like, I think you have to sort of 
get that about games if you're going to work in games and and be okay with that and Mm -hmm. understand that there's a relationship between how experimental and new you want to be and the the amount of people that you can convert to the thing that you're trying to make because it's very hard that said there are a million ways to be experimental in games that nobody's doing right now Mm -hmm. and i think there's a lot of sense that um that Things are being designed for a very specific audience because there is nobody on the other side of the table. Like when you make a Grand Theft Auto game, it has to be designed to the needs of the people who want to play Grand Theft Auto Mm -hmm. because who else are you going to design it for? Mm -hmm. Are you going to design it for the artist behind Grand Theft Auto for what they want? Who are they? What do they want? We don't know. (laughs) So, you know, you can't stand up and like we have a culture in mainstream traditional video games that doesn't involve standing up and defending your decisions and having desires and wanting to say something or wanting to put something out Mm. there because we don't have somebody on the other end of the table the only person who exists is the amalgamation of gamers who want a very specific thing from grand theft auto Mm -hmm. and i think that's how you get stuff like my favorite thing in grand theft auto is you can smoke weed in Grand Theft Auto and you get a Gatling gun and you shoot shitty aliens. And that's what they thought of. They have an entire world with like all these simulated people and cars and buildings and water and like things. And the weirdest, most trippy thing they could think of to do in this world is you have a Gatling gun and you shoot boring aliens. Like you could do anything they could have the whole ocean rise 200 meters and you could swim through town everybody could be gigantic and giant feet are walking like you could do literally anything and they've done the most boring thing because they're trying to design that's not what they're looking for they're designing the game around a very specific set of desires that are basically people yelling at and cursing each other and shooting at each other and like (laughs) strippers and that's and that's like what the culture of grand theft auto is and i think like that kind of sucks. Like I want a world where people are designing games because they are people with a vision who want to say something meaningful or do something interesting and get it out there. And I think that you see that stuff a lot more in this, like, you know, Kojima made a really weird game. And Mm -hmm. part of why it's weird is because Kojima is weird. And part of why it's weird is because Kojima is a person who got to make decisions and didn't design a game for an audience. Exactly. And I think we could have so much more of that and we'd have so much more interesting stuff in AAA, even if the games were still like Far Cry 6, Far Cry 7, Far Cry 8. You know, you'd still have weird, interesting, cool moments and like stuff and I don't, I don't know why we don't have that i think we could have that if, if people <laughs> we do would just and we do promote. have it sometimes and sometimes it i mean people like that about kojima right um and, and well I, I think you get it in the in the weird you know in the cracks like we got it with um with dark souls we got this whole new director that has like this very cool yeah. sense and this new extremely and, specific and yeah. we got that because he was working at a company and they built a game that sucked and it was this crappy project and they gave it to him to work on because yeah. it was a failure and they'd sunk all this money in and he was like, let me, give me a shot, right? We, and we got that opportunity because they were de-risked. Yeah. And he made this thing that was super weird that basically everybody hated called yeah. Demon Souls. Yeah. And for some reason, it got just enough clout for him to make another right. thing. And then eventually we got welcome into his world and now we have this like cool director. And I, yeah. you know, and we, an entirely new genre right. of, of 
yeah, it's like he invented the Western or something. Like he invented a genre. Yeah. Right? I think we could have that a lot more than yeah. we have that if we had the space to let people do that stuff and 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 promote. And I also think we'd have a, a lot less of a toxic relationship going on mm-hmm. because, um, like I think you know gamers get really entitled about their games because they're getting they're designed for them. That's it. That mm-hmm. is for them. Like there's nobody else, and they figured that out, and now they're. They want to keep it that way, and it's yeah, and they've been they've been treated that way of like, oh, you're in charge. We're going to give you what you want. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember reading one. It was an interview with with uh, some of the Nintendo developers um, about uh, Splatoon two and about why like the mode. You know how in Splatoon two the modes, not every mode is available all the time. It's mm. only available some of the time, right? And it was just one of them said, like, yeah, we don't uh, give you what you think you want. We give you what you don't know you want, right? Or we we are just like that's the design philosophy to a certain extent. Like, we think it's better if you can't play it all the time, even though you may disagree. And we're going to show you that by playing the game, you know, by playing the Now, you can disagree with them about how successful that was. Right. But when I read that, I was like, oh, no. It, it highlighted for me. No one ever says that in video yeah. games. Like that's yeah. that's never you you. Ne- I mean, especially probably in the U.S., you would all, like imagine someone from Blizzard saying that, you know, or someone from you know one of right. like it's just unless, not part of the culture. Unless though. they're trying to take your money, and then they're like, "Oh, you. We know you want this, but we want your money, yeah. <laughs> and then we'll give it to you." Is there is there any like uh, you? So you've managed to. To find a, to make a space for yourself to do this, right? Where yeah. where you are experimenting in the ways that you want to experiment in a way that uh, allows people to follow your auteurship in the way that you're describing, and and is having the specific effect on the audience that you want it to have to at least some extent. Um, is there? Uh, how do we make that happen more? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, did I, you get did you get lucky? Is there something that other people can be doing? Are there structural changes that should be made um, to the well, industry? Uh, I definitely got lucky, but um, luck is complicated. I think. Yeah. You you know you could go to the person who won like the world poker tour and be like, "Did you get lucky?" And they'd be like, "Yes, I got lucky." But like also uh, they were good at poker. Yes. So, yes. you know, I, I think it's uh, And they had the and then they had the $10,000 to put in at the beginning, right. which is the privilege part. Right. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a better it's a perfect metaphor. Yeah, it really is. Um so, you know, that I think that's part of it, but I you know, another part of it is like um up until very recently, I did everything myself, mm-hmm. and that meant that I could you know, make a lot less money on things. Like mm-hmm. to, you know, if if you have even one other person that you're splitting it with, you're making half as much money. And so, mm-hmm. um, if you are, you know, you can make a pretty low amount of money and still be very sustainable if you're doing everything yourself. So I think that was very helpful. Do you still work that way? Uh, well, I just hired someone part time. I had someone part time on Pocket Run Pool, and I've got someone part time now. Um, who's like kind of even more part time? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just trying to see how that works and if yeah. that can be sustainable. I think I kind of have slowly put together a business model because I now have so many titles. And part of my uh, part of my structure is I'm making games that don't get worse. Like I think a lot of people target games for like the time period that they're made, but like you know 
really bad chess is going to be just as good in 10 years as it is now. It's not, you know, yeah. a game that goes out of fashion. And I try to do that with all of my games. So, you know, I have now a bunch of games that sort of have an amount that they sell. And if I can just continue to bring people into that world, mm-hmm. it means I can start to support new people. Like if I take up, you know, 50 per- is boring business no. numbership. But like, you know, if I make a game and I only make, you know, two-thirds as much money as I would have made on that game because I got help making it, but I make a bunch more money from my previous games because I brought some new people into that world that becomes, like, something that works. So I'm trying to do that now where I can, like, have some help and spend uh, less of my effort on, like, making the menus move Mm -hmm. when I can, like, spend that effort designing new things. Um, But also with Apple Arcade, like, it's cool to have this opportunity to get things funded, and so I can... You know, Card of Darkness is a game that I don't think it would have been possible unless somebody decided that they wanted to pay for it. Um, really? So I, I wanted to, because I, I was playing Card of Darkness yesterday. I've been having a lot of fun with it. Uh, and yeah, that's your, that was like ground floor. Honestly, that's probably one of the reasons I signed up for Apple Arcade because it was a new one of your games. I'm like, well, it's the only way I'm going to get to play it is if I sign up for Apple Arcade. Oh, so. Apple, listen to this podcast. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, I bet they're doing that thing that Netflix does too where they monitor to see, oh, what did what did people download or stream immediately after signing up? What right. caused them to subscribe? That's like what Netflix cares about more than anything right now. I bet Apple's doing the same thing. But, um, yeah, what is that? process like i mean you've been your games have been successful up until this point before apple arcade were you what what is the being a part of that new venture like did you already have the game idea did they come you know etc yeah um well i had the the game is a game that i've been working on for like eight years the core of it Mm. um just like the core mechanical system of like you pick up a card and then there are more cards and you move through this grid it was like really hard to get that to work actually so that was like a lot of iterations and then um I had effectively like a prototype of basically the game. Um, and I knew I wanted to work with Penn on it. We've been trying to find Pendleton Ward. We've been yeah. trying to find a game to work on for a while. Um, and I was like, oh, this game needs like a ton of little tiny monster animations. This would be perfect. Um, so I knew I wanted to work with him. Um, and basically, uh, like I have a relationship with Apple. Um, and they were like, oh, we're doing this thing that we kind of would like you to do something for. And I was like, oh, okay. So then I like put together a pitch which I'd never done and basically figured out the budget and like got together with my friends at Choice Provisions who are like professional team game developers and like they helped a lot with thinking of a budget and mm-hmm. like putting like making sure you know hiring is a whole task that I'm not good at. So this is really really a multi-person Oh yeah. I mean got that it. yeah that game was 10 people Oh, okay. Um, that, yeah. that, this is my question because it seems much different from you know your early yeah. work in that way. There's yeah. a lot more bells and whistles on it. Oh yeah, yeah. We had a four-person art team on that game, wow. and uh, another coder and me, and then Alex Noisy who did the game design with me, um, and Penn, and uh, we had like a QA person, and I mean it had to be translated in all these languages. So we had like a project manager who figured out like how to like find a translation company and like do all. <laughs> I mean it was like a a huge undertaking, yeah. and I think part of what made it a little bit easier than it should have been was like it was being funded. So everybody, you know, like we had a big art budget, and so everybody who we asked to do art was like, yeah. Yeah, I'll do that. That's great. Like, oh, that's like a, way more money than I would have expected to get to do this. <laughs> right. um, and so, uh, like, you know, that I don't 
I don't really know what the expected return on something like that would have been. But for Apple, like the amount of money they put into it made sense because they're trying to like, they have all these other goals with this. So, thing. Th- so this for you was a budget level up. Like... Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, considering my previous budget was nothing because yeah. it's just me. Your time. My time. And then eventually I'm like hiring other people and then my budget is like, like, $15,000. I mean, like, basically yeah. nothing. Yeah. I mean, not that $15,000 is nothing, but, like, when you're making a bunch of games and you, like, have, an ex- like, the amount that you're going to make mm-hmm. back, like, that's a very, very modest budget for a video game. Um, and then this, it was, like, quite a bit bigger than that. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was a, a totally new experience for me and um, super interesting now because now I'm, like, working on additional prototypes and thinking about what my next games are going to be and some of them. It's like, okay, I can have this entire new world now where it's like, oh, I can make a game that's much bigger than anything I've ever done before because I have like access to this publishing partner who wants me to pitch them a game and like give them a budget and, Mm -hmm. you know, just basically wants to see me make something great for them. And that's their main goal. Um, It's very weird. (laughs) Um, and a little scary (laughs) but cool um but i don't know i mean maybe that's maybe that's how we get to more people who are who are doing this stuff you know maybe 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 the upside of of living in a nightmare service art world is that like maybe maybe we get companies like netflix and 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 apple like continuing to make these expenditures and 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 little like smaller artists like get get pulled up like honestly that was actually the yeah. thing that I really loved about Apple Arcade that I found very moving is when I played it even the games I didn't like it was really obvious that the teams that made them were being super ambitious and were like sat down and were like we've never worked with this amount of money before we're going to do something mm-hmm. that's like way more than we've ever done and we're going to set our sights super high and we're going to try to like pull this off yeah and i think that was like to me that was the thing that was the most endearing about that launch sure there were there were a lot of great games and they launched a lot of games but like it was really beautiful to me to see so obviously so many small tiny and like medium small teams be given the opportunity to work with budgets this big and set their sights so high and do something really ambitious like yeah. i think that was really cool that's that is really cool and that to me is what made me like you know i'm coming a little bit of skepticism but i'm like all right there's a lot of cool stuff here and there's that's clearly happening um but <laughs> you know my in my experience just having you know, entertainment industry gone through this a couple of years, you know, the last couple of years, it's like, no, I'm sure it's well, actually ne- hell, <laughs> you know, Netflix, Netflix, when it's bringing back arrested development or whatever, and green lighting, you know, all these cool, weird series, right. It's very different from Netflix is today. You know, it's been not, not 10 years yet, but you know, it's, it's, it's really been through an evolution, right? Yeah. Now Netflix is a very different company from Apple um, where, you know, the, Apple at the end of the day, they're just trying to sell you a new phone, right? Netflix is, has a totally different business model, but I do wonder about that, uh, you know, over the, you know, what does it look like in, in five years? Right. And are they still, you know, are they are they still giving those those deals? Is it still working in that way for those people, or does the tail start wagging the dog? Right. Right. Um, I yeah. I mean, I I suspect it, it has to change, but yeah. who knows? I mean, that we saw that with you know Xbox 
really on the on the 360 you had like xbla and everybody was like making game like braid and like you know mm-hmm. all these great games are coming out for xbla and then like four years in like xbla is all advertisements and you like can't navigate anything and there's yeah. no like and suddenly it's just like this weird hellscape and then suddenly no one cares about indies anymore and it's just this other thing and then playstation comes and then they care about indies and then they don't and then apple you know it's like a weird it's almost like is (laughs) almost like every every industry i just think about you know comedy and and film and and games and tv it's like the great work that people really love is almost like a mushroom like growing under a rock or something like it's always there right like you're never going to stop creative people from making good stuff but like the conditions for it can change and uh it's like we go through this process over and over again where it's like it's a little bit inhospitable but it's still happening and then oh we got a new fertile field of xbox live arcade netflix apple arcade um you know the 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 decentralized film industry of the '70s and '80s, uh, etc. Et right? Um, where oh wow, look at all this creativity! And then after a couple of years, that business starts to shift and it starts you know controlling what people make in ways that people don't really like anymore. And then I I, I don't know. It's like I, I I I often wonder if like the the if we'll ever reach a, an equilibrium where like the true creative the true, the true like creativity that we all want to have and that we want to experience in our art is actually the thing that is foundational and and is and is given the attention and the money that that we all want it to receive or if it's always going to be you know, one step forward, two steps back, two step forward, one step back, over and over and over. I think we always have that. I mean, I th- <laughs> I think the thing is that, like, you know, when you when you don't know how to make money and when nobody cares, the easiest thing to do is to give a bunch of geniuses a tiny amount of money and let them do great things. But then once people care and they're spending their money, yeah, you're never gonna make more money than you are from the people who are rich who want to sell ads and want to put ads in your yeah. thing. And uh, honestly. I'm just glad we're finally to a place where video games are getting that money at the bottom of the thing all, when it yeah. starts. Like when we're like that that is new. Oh, oh getting it at the beginning is getting what you it mean. at yeah, like yeah. I I'm psyched that we're you know, we started to see that with XBLA. We saw it more with PlayStation 4 launch, and now we're really seeing it with Apple. Like finally we're at the point where video games are culturally important enough that like people are pouring the money in for a minute. Yeah. And soon it won't be like that. But then there will be a new thing where people are pouring the money in. And hopefully video games will remain in the cultural taste space where they can return. You know, movies, it was the same thing. It's like there was a moment where people were pouring money in and then they stopped. And then Netflix came and then they poured money in and now yeah. they're kind of stopping. But like, like, I just want... I, we're not going to change that cycle, but like I'm so excited that video games are starting to get to be a part of that cycle yeah. and getting to be a part of it on the level of solo creators, small creators, small teams. Like that's super cool to me. Yeah, I mean, as 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 down as you can get on the state of the industry, that's still happening. You still exist. You're still doing the the work that you're doing. Other other teams are as well. You still have. I don't know off the top of my head. Like uh, I don't know, Dream Daddy was a hit last year, right? Well, <laughs> you know, and what a strange, what, what or what a what a specific 
you know, game that was, right? And new people are still showing up and starting to establish themselves. Like even mm -hmm. on mobile, you know, you have like Philip Stallmeyer who is making all these great physics games like Zip Zap and Oh, I don't like, remember that one. Yeah. Um and uh bacon and like mm -hmm. the pancake flipping game and uh and then you also like kenny sun who's like an out of new york and starting to do a mm -hmm. bunch of really cool stuff um it's like still happening i mean it's yeah. really hard right yeah but i don't know i i have like a really screwed up viewpoint on it because like i came from like art and my friends and some of my friends in new york are in music and it's like mm -hmm. My I have a I have a friend in music who is literally a genius, and I was like, "What are you What are you gonna do?" And he's like, "Yeah, you know, I I don't know. It's you can't make money in music, so I guess I'll produce and maybe I'll teach or something." And like this guy is like one of the most talented people I've ever met. Yeah, and he's like, "There's no future there." And like I've done gallery shows with artists who are incredibly talented, and I've never met an artist, maybe like twice who like their career is they're an artist and they don't do anything else. Yeah. So like games, like it's it's still happening, man. Like it's hard, but like there there are careers. You can do it. Like it's yeah. an op it's it's a possibility, especially if you have like some some level of privilege that allows you to get through like the early really struggle years. Like if yeah. you if you make games for like 10 years and you make games every year and you release games every year, like I bet I think in games you could still pull off a career if you try hard enough for long enough. But you, but in the middle of your inspiring speech there, you were like, if you work hard and you really have a good idea, and you, if you have a lot of privilege, yeah, you can sure do. And well, I was you like, do. Wait, hold on a second. Yeah, that part's not inspiring. yeah, it sucks. No, it's the part that sucks, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are a lot of there are ways to get to have privilege that are like you know you could uh, you could privilege can be you have a, another job that like is mm -hmm. a good enough job that you have some time that you can spend on the side doing something that's like a, a quality that's a privilege or or it could be you have rich parents or a rich spouse or it could yeah. be you find someone who really loves your stuff who's like going to be a benefactor and is gonna but yeah no it sucks man that's the 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 crap about creative fields is like yeah. you 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 can't you need to have some way to survive in them like they don't just hand you money they're not a job yeah we that's a societal problem that we have. yeah yeah it'd be better if we had grants like canada or australia or like that would be a start yeah um but we don't yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it we sucks don't. it sucks man yeah and those years when you've got to work for free you know in comedy spent 10 years not getting paid it was really good that i knew how to develop a website and yeah and uh and it didn't have debt right yeah. and and those right. were the those were the things that allowed me to to do it for free until i was able to get paid not everybody has that and that's something that i try to bear in mind and like pay forward when i can but that's not a problem i can solve by myself it's like something that we need to yeah it's a society you know. level problem yeah uh well I was not the best note to end on. Um, uh, are, are you gonna? Uh, what, what are you working on now? Or you don't have to tell me. Tell me, but uh, you can tell me a little bit. Tell me, like, what's your? What you know? The, uh, Card of Darkness came out. Apple Arcade was a launch game. Um, uh, how are you happy with the response to that? And what's next? Yeah, I mean, um, people liked it, which mm -hmm. is what I, I liked it. What I wanted, and. Uh, I did it. I think that was a big thing for me is something I'd never done before working at that scale mm -hmm. with that kind of team. Um, uh, it was, 
uh, too ambitious. And so it was really kind of a hellish development process because um, we just didn't have enough time. Oh. Um, and I didn't know how to, like, I had a, I've never had a panic attack before. I had a panic attack. Now I know what a panic attack is, which is like, I think maybe important that I yeah. knew what that is. I didn't know. That made me on the first year of making my show. Yeah. It's like you, when you're in that, in that environment. Yeah. Um, so I'm so glad it's done. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, so I'm really proud of it and really proud of the team and everybody did a great job. Um, so now, uh, we're, you know, working on a couple updates and things for card of darkness. Um, I dropped like four projects to finish that game. So I'm sort of slowly making my way back to some other projects. Um, I'm working on, uh, some uh, new spell tower stuff, um, like a new game. Um, I'm working on a different word game. I'm working on uh, some... I've been trying to learn how to do like multiplayer programming so mm. I can start doing multiplayer things and exploring that space because I think there's a lot of... Um, one thing I've been thinking about a lot is most people I know who are older play words with friends mm -hmm. um, with somebody to talk with them. Oh, yeah. Um, but there's no group game that's like that. Uh-huh. Um, which is weird because there are group texts with like lots of like, yes. like my wife plays, you know, words with friends with her mom to talk to her. But she's also on a group chat with her brother and her right. mom like why isn't there a game that like three people or four people can play that they can use as this like communication thing and and asynchronous multiplayer is so much fun whenever I, it's been a while since i've had a game like that but when you're playing with other people ooh, sorry i'm sorry i'm no. not gonna <laughs> go for I, it <laughs> okay this is just it reminded me of something that that with college friends this was in like 2007 or 8 with college is friends, it risk it is risk it is yeah. risk. Wow. So it was like the exact. This, this is very. I know fun. people who play Risk with college friends. Yeah, it's a it, good multiplayer. It game. was well. There was and there was a. Specific, there was like a website that like had. There was like a specific a, website yeah. where you would take turns, and then they they there were so many mods and like custom maps that it stopped being Risk and it started being just other. Oh, war cool. Games. I wish I could remember the name of it. Like I, I know I know the experience that you're talking about. That's a wonderful that's a wonderful social social experience that a game can bring you. Yeah, and I think that's not an experience that most people in like the hyper casual space have had. That's like a very new kind of thing. Yeah. For them. So that's something I've been thinking about and like learning how to write multiplayer stuff is really weird and like new. Yeah. Um, and uh, I had to like learn a bunch of new programming languages and stuff. Um, so that was kind of cool. I'm playing with that and then I'm also like right now I'm noodling with the Sudoku game which is very boring mm. it's like a very boring thing to work on but like I discovered that there literally is not one acceptable Sudoku app mm, like there is wow. zero which seems weird like yeah. how could that be that there would be none so yeah. I don't even have a twist on it really <laughs> like I have like a little <laughs> bit of like there's some things that are like a little like bookkeeping and Sudoku that I don't like and also I'm not sure if I like Sudoku yet I haven't figured it out but there are some things that like I'm tweaking a little bit but like fundamentally I'm just like to chill out I'm just writing a Sudoku app that's like acceptable like yeah um so that's I been a know weird that project. There wasn't one. Yeah, there are none. For a while, I was always trying to find like a like a good Picross type. Oh game, yeah, and it was hard to find one that was like playable. Right, there on is the one nanograms for Nonogram? I, for iPad. Oh, yeah, for, it's iPad. for iPad, and it's got like a weird samurai, and it looks really ugly, but it's great. It's a very good Picross game. There's a dude who made it's a, it's a game that's called Battleships. Do you own Battleships? 
it, it's that type of game where there's it, it's you're basically using logic to figure out where like ships are on a grid um, and a dude it's like a kind of puzzle you can find in games magazine if you know games magazine yeah um, and a dude made a really wonderful version of it that's a web app only um, and he describes it as a mindless podcast companion <laughs> just so you can like I want to do some logic on listen to a Whoa. podcast in the back of a lift to check it out it was great and uh, but again, another thing no app for it have you have you played Picross two player on the Switch? No. This is what you have to do tonight. Um, I'm gonna give th- on that recommendation. Thank you so much, Zach, yeah, for coming welcome. on the show. Man. <laughs> yeah, thank God. <laughs> thank God I came here and told you about that. <laughs> I'm gonna <laughs> play it. I'm gonna play it on my ne- uh, holidays are coming up. Gonna be bored for a while. You so. should just edit the whole podcast down to that three minutes. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming. Sure. Really Thanks for having me. Well, thank you once again to Zach for coming on the show. I hope you loved that as much as I did. I want to thank our producer, Aristotle Acevedo. You can find me on Twitter or anywhere else you like social media at Adam Conover. You can follow me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Adam Conover. Until next time, we'll see you next week on Humans Who Make Games. Podcast Network.